Hello and welcome to the movie Download. I am QC. And I'm Big J. And we're here to talk about movies we love or hate, or a little bit of both. We are currently, of course, on our list of the 75 greatest horror movies of all time, and we are coming at you from... Spokane, Washington. We nailed it for once! <laughs> uh... There could be spoilers. No, there will be spoilers. There will be spoilers because we will talk about the film in depth. And there could be a little bit of salty language from time to time because, you know, QC likes his colorful words. And a bark from Peppermint because Woof. she never barks unless we we're doing something. Pyrenees bark during the middle of Woof. our... See how deep that is? We should make a horror movie called The Pyrenees Sound. Well, we couldn't get her to bark on command if no. we tried. <laughs> Terrible dog owner. <laughs> oh, no. Well, this week we are reviewing... Which number are we at? And we're at number 30. This is number 30. My age, so... I'm <laughs> so old. I know. Blue Velvet. Yes, Blue David Lynch's Velvet. 19... Don't sing the song because we don't have car- copyright. Okay. David Lynch's <laughs> 1986, what I consider to be his magnum opus, Blue Velvet. Now, I know in the last podcast, I'm really sorry, I said 88, 86, I get birth years confused, so... It's two it was apart. made in 86. Right? No, it was released in 86. September 17th of 1986. It actually premiered at Toronto Film Festival like seven days, I think, before its release. And then they premiered, which isn't that uncommon for films that premiered at Toronto. Fabulous. Yeah, so. Um, that's the only film festival played it. Didn't play at Cannes, didn't play at Sundance, I don't think it was around then, but it didn't play at Cannes. Cannes was. And Toronto only played at Toronto. Before Toronto Film Festival, I think. Toronto was fabulous in the 80s. They had... Toronto is still a fabulous film festival. Well, they also had, you know, what the... Um... Oh, never mind. That was what the 90s. What did they have in the 80s? They had the Winter Olympics. The first Jamaican bobsled team. <laughs> that was actually in the 80s. Cool Runnings came out in the 90s. We, Jordan just watched okay. Cool Runnings. Yeah, the Disney version. We are Jamaican, but I mean, oh my. Bobsled team. I guess I've only torched him with so many frightening, disgusting movies about <laughs> depraved people. You actually enjoyed parts of it, I think. I, it's not the worst movie. I like John <laughs> Candy. It's hard to watch movies with John Candy, though, because he's not with us anymore. I know. He died from a ham sandwich. <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> that is awful. Awful. I'm not that thin or anything. Well, moving on before we get banned from podcasting. <laughs> no, we'll just be banned from Toronto because he's Canadian. <laughs> Great. So. We just we just destroyed a Canadian national treasure. All right, so Blue Velvet. We've lost it, our optional countries to, <laughs> to resort to. We were available on Apple Podcasts, but now we're not. No, like, Spotify only. Spotify. Which one's all the American? We don't know. I all don't right. Know. Okay, sorry. We're going on a tangent. We're having too much fun. Uh, yeah, we're going to discuss Blue Velvet, which was written and directed by David Lynch. So, um little background on Blue Velvet. Of course, it stars Kyle MacLachlan, Isabella Rossellini, uh, Dennis Hopper, Laura Dern. Those are the four leads. And a very odd, odd cameo by Dean Stockton, which I'll bring up in a minute. Um, so, and it was, re- again, I said it was released um, in 1986 of September. And uh, we'd had a smaller budget, about $6 million, 
which is different because when we're going to be discussing Lynch, you'll, we'll learn a little bit more as history. Um, the movie was very polarizing when it came out. Currently, it stands as it's it's been reevaluated multiple times, like a lot of movies that I think have a controversial subject nature. Um, they get reevaluated years down the road, and people are like, "Oh no, it was really great." I don't know why I gave it such a bad review. Mm. <laughs> you know, the eighties were 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 a Reagan time, a very conservative time. So, um, but it is ninety four percent on Rotten Tomatoes and seventy six on Metacritic. So it's very well reviewed. That's true. I think it's the best reviewed. I. It's oh. aged well too, though. Well, I think Lynch films. We could just get into it really quick. Um, let's go over the synopsis, and then we'll go over the aging and Lynch okay. films. Okay. So um, Kyle McLaughlin is a young man, Jeffrey Beaumont, who has come home because his father has had some type of heart attack or a stroke. We see in the very first scene of the film, show the film, and he comes home from school. I presume he's at college, but I'm oh, not really. They don't really. Yeah. It's not specified. He doesn't live in, in a small town and, anymore. And, you know, he's just kind of bored, and he finds a severed ear, like you do in the grass. Yeah, kind of a rural area on the well, walk to the hospital. They live in Lumberton. What? Lumberton. USA. Lumberton. It's got, like, this cute little, like... It's uh, very kitschy tune. 1950s, like, Father Knows Best TV show. And but he finds an ear. stuck in the 50s. Yeah, it the looks t- like... It looks like it came it, right out of the 50s. So you can't really tell the time frame sometimes. Well, I think that's purposefully, but we should okay. press on with the synopsis, then we can discuss more. Sorry. Yeah, Big J loves to go on a tangent. <laughs> um, anyways, so he finds the ear, and he gives it to the police, like you actually, you know, like you do. And then he gets involved with Laura, his the policeman, uh, detective's daughter. Stop looking at me like that. You know, I'm concentrating. <laughs> Such a jackass. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Don't say that. Made me go to Costco and everything today. <laughs> and Laura, um, Laura Dern. Uh, so he goes out with Laura Dern and they're like the Nancy Drew and Hardy Boys. And they get involved in a very dark and seedy underworld uh, with two characters, Isabella Rossellini, who is Dorothy Valens, the um, lounge chanteuse singer, and then Frank, by Dennis, Frank Booth, by Dennis Hopper, who is... Crazy Frank. um, Clearly a drug dealer. Frightening Frank. Frightening Frank. (laughs) (laughs) So that's the synopsis of Blue Velvet. All right, so let's do some background before we get on the film. So David Lynch, of course, you know, he was born in Missoula. He grew up some in parts of um, Spokane, so he's 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 lived here in this area. He's also lived in Virginia. He's moved a few places, but I think that's important to note. He's from small towns, you know. He's from. I mean, I know Spokane is not really a town now. We would consider it a city, but I think probably back. Uh, I think he definitely came from here a long time ago, though. Yeah, and I think even then, even from being from here, living here, there is definitely a small town mindset. Comparably, so, yeah, comparatively no, small like, town. You know, New York, Detroit, um, Denver, Chicago, Seattle, all those cities. Oh, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. So you only get stuck in traffic for like ten minutes here <laughs> on a bad day. So I think that really, um, like, but you know, he's a weirdo. I mean, Eraserhead was the first movie he made, and it was made for very little money, and it shocked people, and it was interesting, and it was weird. It's also his shortest film. Little known fact. 
Hmm. He likes to make movies of the longer variety, which are not always my favorite because I'm like, time's a tick and let's get moving. But if it's well made, I don't mind it. And sometimes it is. And then he made The Elephant Man with John Hurt and it got a lot of Oscar nominations and it was really well regarded. And then he made Dune, which is based on a novel, which I never read because I'm just not into science fiction novels, generally speaking. Oh, like sci-fi. I bet you you read it. Your father mm-hmm. probably read it. Um, and then he made the film, and that movie bombed. And that movie had a lot of money. And That's that movie, weird. it was. It's not a very good film. It's not a very good Lynch film either. Um, so he went back to Blue Velvet, and Blue Velvet was kind of. I mean, I think if you think about David Lynch now, Blue Velvet is probably where you think his starting point is. I mean, if we're talking about the David Lynch, the Twin Peaks David Lynch, Lost at Heart, Wild at Heart, Mulholland Drive, it kind of started, in my opinion, with Blue Velvet. Yes, he took ideas from Eraserhead and Elephant Man, Dune, but to me, Blue Velvet is where we we mix the sexuality, the 50s satire that he loves... Or I don't, even, I don't even know it's satire if it's more of homage. Mm. And then, you know, especially the music, all the music, and the depraved violence that permeates a lot of his films. And depraved violence also, and, I'll, and to some critics, the humiliation of women, which we'll get into in just a minute. Um, so let's talk about David Lynch, shall we? Uh, so you've seen, this was your first David Lynch film? Film. Other than parts of Well, I watched Dune. Or parts of Dune Dune in film appreciation. Not really sure. Can't remember. And then, uh, yeah, we watched the... um, We watched that series. But this is my first Twin Peaks The Return. Although to me, that's like... I can't... I I probably should have been nicer to you and shown you a David Lynch movie or two before I just... Threw you into Twin Peaks. I like what? Do you do you know what happened in that episode? Well, I don't know. There's lots of flashes and changes, and they like went into like a weird land. He would ask me all the time. Okay, so what exactly happened? I would be like, I don't know. (laughs) Which land did we make it in? I'll let you know in four episodes down the road. (laughs) (laughs) But you made it through because I do think, regardless of how weird it is, he's such an original thinker and it doesn't feel like it's coming from anyone else's point of view that it I think that's what keeps me invested even when it can get obnoxious now I do not think Blue Velvet's obnoxious I think it's actually quite fabulous and I know some people could make question is it really a horror movie I think it's a blend of horror and mystery and neo-noir and 50s father knows best sitcom satire satirical elements i mean so i mean to me the character of frank is incredibly disturbing and gross and ugh. and i remember <laughs> the first time i saw the movie like i had nightmares about the, him breathing that nitrous oxide oh, man, in that was man, man, ugh. <sighs> no and, it, and on top of that i think the sexual when was the first time you saw this film i was 16 years old with grandmama? No, 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 no. I don't think my grandmama would like this movie. The sexual... It's not the violence. It's the sexual violence. Oh, uh, yeah. She didn't really no. care for that a whole lot. She didn't lot. really care for Gone Girl either because that woman, that woman should have died. Don't you mock your grandmother if she listens to these. My grandmother does not listen to much. She doesn't have a cell phone. We love you, Grandma Cat. We lo- I love you. I do love you, Grandma Cat. <laughs> um, I don't know why I looked at the computer like she's there, like FaceTiming me or something. Like, oh, she's a ghost. We'll have to burn him onto a CD for her. 
I don't know if they convert this to tape. Can you get it on a VHS? <laughs> she watched it then. <laughs> She'd have to drive her car to use a CD. Anyways. <laughs> oh, I feel bad. Now I'm just making fun of my grandmother. Um, no, I watched this on IFC. Um, little note, in fact, my stepdad worked for DirecTV, so we had free DirecTV forever. So I had every channel, and IFC was awesome. And not any, I don't know if it's as awesome anymore. I don't know. I watched it a long time. But they used to play all the crazy movies. And that's where I actually saw a lot of those fil- these weird films. And I ended up seeking out more. And the internet was available at the time. It was really becoming the boom of the internet. Mm-hmm. So I was able to seek out very easily these films. Um, so it, 14 years ago. High-speed internet was becoming a thing. It really was, yeah. yeah. So yeah, Blue Velvet's the first David Lynch movie I ever saw. I loved it the first time I saw it. I didn't know how to feel about some of the scenes. I've seen it now quite a few times now where I feel like I could easily express what I think works about this so amazingly and why I think some of the criticisms towards it is in unvalid. Or in unvalid. Invalid. No, because I don't want to think anyone's criticisms are invalid, but I think maybe that they're misunderstood. I think that's a better word. Okay. Um, because, so, you know, Roger Ebert famously gave this movie, you know, I love Roger Ebert. Like one star? One star to four, which is, yeah. uh, no good. Um, <laughs> and he said that there's... Let Siskel give it. Uh, I don't remember. Siskel, I don't actually, it's hard to find Siskel's reviews because he wrote for, for the Tribune. And I don't think, he gave it a positive review. Uh, he mm. gave it a thumbs up. But I I read RogerEbert.com. So I don't think Gene Siskel at the time had his own website. He wrote for the mm. Tribune, so I think it's really hard to find some of his old back catalog stuff. Um, but he did give it a positive review, and he found it very good, and he said it made him think. Um, but Roger Ebert's biggest issue was he felt that the movie humiliated Isabella Rossellini's character, and Isabella Rossellini, and was a joke. And that if you're going to humiliate and push it that far... With the sexuality and the violence, you shouldn't be in a joke of a film. Or don't do it. You know what I mean? He felt like if you're gonna be like that, it needs to be serious. But, you know, I I think it's probably from... I mean, Roger Ebert was raised Catholic. I think there is a moral code sometimes. And I, he admitted that in his, doc, um, in his documentary, Life Itself. Um, Steve James asked him... That maybe he did have a moral code, moral compass, and he felt it was if he felt it was crossed, there needs to have validity to it. And he did not believe Isabella Rossellini's scenes had validity to it. For them to exist, I should say. Are you still trying to find Gene Siskel's review? Yeah. Our flick of the week, Blue Velvet, a film is likely to turn off as many moviegoers as it turns on. Yeah. So he kind of thought, you know. Well, yeah. he still thought it was it was incredibly controversial at the time. It, you, we saw the trailer, the most controversial movie of the 80s. He um, compared it to Psycho. Yes, he did. Um, Which is a pretty cool. big compliment from Gene Siskel, because I'm pretty sure he thinks Psycho, he thought Psycho, he thinks he's not alive anymore, sorry. He thought Psycho was considered... He gave it three and a half stars. Three and a half, that's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, that's, he gave it rave review. They very much argued about this on there. Infamously on Cisco and Ebert. Because <laughs> yeah, Ebert gave it uh, one. One oh, out of four. And he's never taken it back. Nope. It's still day. posted just like that. Well, and to sometimes this day. he will take it back. He will, I know for Blade Runner, he wasn't a big fan of, but he ended up 
when you saw it reevaluating Blade Runner, which isn't that uncommon. A lot of people have reevaluated. He's not reevaluating anything anymore. Well, he's, rest in peace. Yes, rest in peace. <laughs> such a such an awesome man. Now that we've, <laughs> I love Roger Ebert. And if you, by the way, if anyone really does love film criticism, you really should watch his documentary. It's available on Hulu, and it's it's really fantastic. And it, I cry. I watch it like once every six months and cry every time because I just. Mm. He, amazing, amazing. There's a couple, I have like top five film critics and he's number one. Mm. And then there's a couple others. I don't want to list them all because maybe they'll send me stuff. So, you know, <laughs> the other four are alive. <laughs> no, Pauline Kale's not alive, but the other three are alive. You do love a film review. To me, they're like movie stars. They told me what to, really, what to look forward to. But anyways, let's move on with Blue Velvet. Mm-hmm. So, okay, Blue Velvet, first off, I love... You brought up 50, so let's talk about that. This, the first opening shot of that picket fence with the roses and the blades of grass, and it's like, it's post-World War II, picturesque, 1950s suburbs. It feels like a sitcom. It really, I mean, with color. But, I mean, it could be the Donna Reed show, I Love Lucy, (laughs) Father Knows Best, Petticoat Junction, Green Acres. Mm -hmm. I can name you tons of these sitcoms that were very, like, you know wholesome apple pie <laughs> and then the guy has a stroke and it go lumberton lumberton sorry <laughs> similar thing and it goes into the grass and shows these weird looking beetles and clearly it's about the rot of the american dream now this is not i mean it may have been a less common territory in the 80s i mean definitely now there's been a lot of films about how suburbia is really not all that nice and you know what i mean there's lots of darkness but to me, even though there's been a lot of films, the reason I think Blue Velvet works so much better than a lot of those other films is because it really pushes it into the darkness, into that nihilistic, like, this idea. And it really shows the dichotomy between what these people think they live in and what these people actually live in. And I liked that more. And if you're going to go there, go there. Push it hard. David Lynch will never have to be told to push it hard. And even whether it works or not, he always goes for it. And I love that about him. And Blue Velvet, I mean, first off, Kyle MacLachlan, genius casting. To me, Kyle MacLachlan perpetually looks 22. I mean, he's like 60 now and he looks fabulous. I hope I look that good. I think he looks like he's 38. He's another one from Washington, so go. Go Cougars. You know. Go Cougars. Go Seahawks, you know. Go. <laughs> you remember from Fargo? Washington Go Bears. State University. Stop taking pictures. He's taking a picture of Yochi right now because he looks so precious. <laughs> um, so, I mean, perfect. I mean, I would think of him as the All-American boy. He looks like the All-American boy. The only thing that throws it off, I wish he would have gotten his hair cut a little bit. The mullet distracts. The, the semi-mullet distracts it. It does make it feel 80s, but that's okay. It's super weird because you feel like you're in but the 50s and you look like straight at his face. 80s. Only if he turns to the side. That's yeah, the that's kind of weird. And Laura Dern is so fresh-faced and beautiful She's and young gorgeous. and gorgeous, but smart. And I like that. She's smart. She's not stupid. And mm-hmm. I like that she's not jealous either. I mean, she has moments where she gets it, but I like that she forgives him quickly. We'll talk about that scene in a minute. Um, in the scene where he, she thinks he may have, you know, left her for another, you know, or cheated on her or somehow, like, shamed her. But I like that she quickly forgives him. And it doesn't feel faked or phoned. I was thinking mm-hmm. about it. It just feels like she's confident in herself and she knows that he does love her. And 
And so I really enjoyed that. And those two are such a great conduit. They're like, it's like the Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew. She looks like Nancy Drew. I imagine he looks like the Hardy Boys. Do you remember those mystery novels? Mm-hmm. 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 Probably not. You didn't read them, I'm assuming. But you know what I'm talking about. Uh, I did not. Do you remember Encyclopedia Brown? Mm, nope. No? <laughs> okay. But they're just, it's very like, we're going to solve this. There's an ear missing. We'll solve it. It'll be fun. It kind of seems like a Boy Scout adventure. Mm. <laughs> Well, then things go really weird very quickly. When they go to the lounge that Dorothy Valance works in, who they think is involved with the missing ear, which they are correct, although not in the way they made thought at first. <laughs> you know, Kyle McLaughlin's kind of entranced by her. And I think it's funny, Isabel Rossellini, who is incredibly gorgeous, but is interesting looking. I like that she's not obviously gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Like, she's sexy without being beautiful, which is I, some, to some people may not be a compliment. To me, that is a compliment. Um, I mean, the hair she wears is a little ridiculous in the movie, but we find out it's a wig, so I was happy to hear. Um, but I liked that she had a look of sexuality to her, but also a look of immense sadness and emptiness Whether before we find out whether what's going on or not. So I loved that. And of course, when she sings Blue Velvet, it's just, I love Blue Velvet. That's how she always sounds, you know. She has a very interesting vocal cadence, too. I can't really do her voice, but it's, mm-hmm. it's interesting. Remember in Death Becomes Her, I don't know if you remember, she's the girl with the jeweled, the necklace as the top that just barely covers her luscious breasts. And that little, remember, and the, and the skirt that's like all the way up, you know what I mean, with the knife. It, it's ridiculous. She wears, yeah. Anyways, Gotta love Isabel Rossellini. So, but she just immediately evokes that kind of feeling. So we already know before we've met her, she is, there's something wrong with her. She's damaged. Which I think is a great, great thing. And, you know, we're watching a show right now, which I'm, we're probably actually going to do a side review of, called Sharp Objects. And I think it Camille reminds me, the main character of Camille reminds me a little bit of Dorothy Valance. Which mm. to me is a compliment, so... Good job. Um, And then we have Frank Booth, played by Dennis Hopper, who is the epitome of evil. He is the epitome of what? The devil. It it is kind of like the devil. It's it's like the boogeyman. It's everything. He's creepy. Because really nobody else in the movie swears. He swears like a sailor throughout the movie. Every other, like literally every three words is fuck from him. Or a variation of it. seem like a little bit of a saint compared to him. Yeah, and he makes people uneasy just by the way he speaks because, you know, he does, like, it's like the only word he knows is fuck. Truthfully. It's true. He says it a lot. A lot. And in weird ways and in higher pitched voice and lower pitched voice. And he's having an incredibly sadomasochistic slash rapey relationship with Dorothy Valens because he has kidnapped, we find out, her son and husband to basically make her a slave. Mm Mm-hmm. And and so Kyle MacLachlan decides to go and walk, figure out what's going on by getting into her apartment, and then space for bugs, right? Space for bugs and steals her spare key mm-hmm. and hides in the closet. You know the movie shutter closets that everyone will see you in. So why are you looking at them? Don't bother. Don't bother. Always gonna come. Yeah. Who are you? Yeah, and usually it's a jump scare too. <laughs> um, 
And then, so then it adds voyeurism. So we already have, like, in within... It, the movie takes a sharp turn at this point. It's a loving, sweet, like, little homage, like, 50-style murder mysteries. And it'll be fun. And yeah, it's, it's his ear. But nothing wrong's really gonna... Nothing bad's gonna happen that We're can't be solved. Town. Right, that can't be solved with a pancake and a Coca-Cola soda. Mm-hmm. You know, it's very much like that, which I liked. Because then when you take this such a sharp turn, it feels like... We have sunken into the blackest hole of depravity. And when he sees that, and if, you know, Kyle McLaughlin can't look away. He's fascinated by it. Even if he is repulsed, he is repulsed by it as well. He's also possibly aroused by it. No. And that scene where she strips off, makes him strip off all his clothes, is... This is after... He sees the... No, this is before he sees Frank. Oh, yeah, this is before he, he sees, sees Frank. Yep. He sees her on the phone talking about her son. He sees her take off her robe and mm-hmm. her, you know, and put on a new one. And it's a blue velvet robe. And she starts to to sexualize him or starts to... I don't know if it's sexual. I mean, I think in some ways it might be. But I also think in some ways she's trying to humiliate him. Because she's like, you watch liking, you, you know, you mm. watch liking girls undress Mm. so is she trying to humiliate him or is she trying but their relationship even when it does become sexual never feels it's erotic but it never feels uh, what's the word I'm looking for it's escaping my mind it doesn't feel like relationship it feels like more like he is trying to save her Mm. from this this terrible world he's trying to be like you know I mean if you look at the cover of Blue Velvet you know where he's like Got a, he's shirtless and his arms are all, you know, it's it's kind of, you know, masculine and she's very much, but she, you know, she's in that position of the woman like, ah, oh. but if you look at her face, face is nothing. It's almost That's true. She has a blank. It's almost like passion and death at the same time. That's true. And it's clear that she has suicidal thoughts and that her grip on reality is shaky at best. Um, she, her mood swings are wild, which is understandable what she's going through. Um, and this is when I think the film, I mean, the, the scene where, um, Frank takes Kyle McLaughlin's character for a ride. Remember mm-hmm. a ride? And he, it's that awkward scene. And they go to the weirdest brothel. I thought, mm-hmm. I thought the Rob Zombie brothel was weirder, but it's well, pretty close. Um, with the, with that third time. With the effeminate character who's singing the... Roy Orbison's in dreams with yeah, the which lights. He almost that enjoys. He and yeah, there's just an that's our first, like, I'm sure for you who watched Twin Peaks Return thinking that was pretty atypical like pretty typical what David Lynch does. There you go, well, this is what the movie I was expecting with that scene right there, with yeah. that scene in play. It's not really the movie got I mean, this is pretty much for David Lynch. This is probably one of the easiest films to follow. The plot makes sense. It, uh-huh. it does follow I mean it's it's definitely more obtuse. You have to listen. You know, you can't not listen, otherwise you will lose track of, you know, what's going on. But other than that, it's it's pretty straightforward, comparatively to, like, you know, Lost Highway, Mulholland Drive, Twin Peaks The Return, the second season of Twin Peaks, Twin Peaks Firewalk With Me, yeah, so we go Inland to... Empire. So, we, they go on the ride, and he beats him up, and then Kyle McLaughlin goes back to his room, I think, and he, you know, he's bruised really badly, and it's... 
and he cries and he, he tr- thinks about remember when he, they're having sex and he smacks her because she asks him to and he he doesn't know how to feel about himself and he feels gross and disgusted but it doesn't stop him and I wonder does he is he enticed by this world mm-hmm. is there darkness in, is there darkness inside all of us but did he push it too far and I think that's what the movie is really about well it's you know it's picturesque with like I mean the intro scene really really um preludes I don't know if that's the right word preludes. uh Alludes you to think that you that, that, right that is a uh, th- prologue and allude <laughs> mixing prologue. I like to make up words. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the Jordan Dictionary should be a new thing. Um, but yeah, no, I think that's really what they're trying to get at. I mean, you said it. Um, oh, in our first recording, <laughs> but we talked about it. Uh, um, you know how everything is all picturesque, and then there's always a little bit of evil that lies underneath. Always, you know. And then I think that's the thing, like the roses, or the thorns, where we think the robin. When we see the robin, it's so beautiful, but then it has this giant beetle hanging out of its mouth. Mm-hmm. You know, the fact that Dorothy Valens is gorgeous, but there's her lipstick's always a little smeared and it has mm-hmm. a little bit on her teeth, and you know, th- there are subtle things to this film. Or you know how Laura Dern's character is so pretty and gorgeous, but she has a boyfriend. Yeah, she's right, got so a she's boyfriend kind of, as well. She's kind right. of two-timing. She's really interested in like what's going on around correct, her town too, correct. and everybody's business. Yeah. So I really think quit talking while I was drinking. Sorry, I was reading something too. Um, we got an exciting <laughs> thing. We'll we'll have to bring that up later. Um, but regardless, yeah, I don't want to you know spoil no spoilers. It. Yeah, no spoilers. Um. It's such a great, it's such a great, like, there's so much, like, level. First of all, it'd be fabulously directed. It really is. The scene where they're driving and you just, it almost feels like you're moving with the car and the ride. I mean, the scene. When do the road. Right. When she first sings and how beautiful and it's very chanteuse. That opening shot going under the blades of grass almost feels Tim Burton-esque, but before Tim Burton, because David Lynch was before Tim Burton. You know how I feel about Tim Burton. Not a big fan. Oh, Anyways, my lord. I could go on about <laughs> Tim Burton all day long. Um, sorry, I got a little... Mm-mm. And, you know... Soapbox. I, I will. But we need to talk about the scene... We've, we've talked, I think, a lot. We need to talk about the scene of Isabella Rossellini, okay. the one that most people walked out of. Is this your most memorable scene? No, we're going to get into that in a minute. But we need to, I know where this is... Up. It's going to be go a little Are we longer. talking about the first scene? No, we're talking about the scene where she... I mean, the first scene when she's dry humped and he rips the yes. velvet rope. No, that's I'm when talking, people walked out? No, I'm talking about the scene where him and Laura Dern are on their first real date. Okay. It was amazing. They dance to a song. They make out. They're... Because after after the ride, he goes on a date with her and realizes that's not for him. He can't save anybody here. He needs to get out because he's meant. Otherwise, he will become psychotic. Mm -hmm. So, and you know, Mike, her boyfriend, he thinks it's Frank, but it's not. It's Mike. And all of a sudden, they're at his house. They're arguing. He's like, "I'm gonna kick your butt. You stole my girl." And then she just walks out, fully nude, bruised all up her body. Bruises on her face. Clearly, she's been raped. Mm-hmm. Maybe by more than I mean he, d- and she's begging for her lover. You know, and it's it's hard to watch. It's difficult. And then he has to take her over to his girlfriend's parents' house, and she continues. And it's you watch her, and you're embarrassed for her. You're embarrassed for him. 
this is the scene that Roger Ebert was talking about when he was talking about Isabella Rossellini and the humiliation. What did you think of that scene? Were you... Are you offended by it? Do you think it belongs? That's the discussion I would like to have with you. Well, I think it belongs because you have to have the severity, I mean, of the movie to to sink in. Otherwise, the message is kind of weak. So, I mean, it's got an evil underlying to it, and I think that... Evil is everywhere. I, I think that it is taboo in society to speak about, you know, the severity of what goes on. Uh, with people behind closed doors, you know? Well, and the best part about it is that the the apartment building she lives in is just right down the road from them. Mm -hmm. So all of this is going on literally right under their noses. Like, they all think this Lumberton is this perfect town, Mm -hmm. not realizing there's drugs and rapists and the murderers and the mob and ears getting cut off and people being... Oh, the police are dirty there. Yeah, the police are dirty. So, I mean, it is one of those movies that you just go... And it does it so well. I mean, a lot of movies have done stuff like this before, but it's so well. I personally am not offended by it. I do find that scene difficult to watch because Isabel. But I think it's because Isabel Rossellini's performance is so good. I truly think the fact that she didn't get nominated for an Oscar is kind of bullshit, to be honest with you. Um, David Lynch got nominated for Best Director. Awesome. Yeah. And he's been nominated a few times for Best Director. He's never won. He never will win. Um, <laughs> he probably won't make another movie again, but. Um, I hope he just one more. I hope he gets one more, just one more. That's all I ask. Oh, Paul Verhoeven made a great movie at seventy nine. Sidney Lumet made great films at seventy nine. How old is he? Made? I want to say seventy or sixty nine. Yeah. David Lynch can still. He looks he's... great when he was doing the. the oh yeah, um... he was the FBI agent in Twin Peaks yeah, Return. In Twin Peaks Return. He, he was hysterical great. too. Um, I, I think Blue Velvet is the best film David Lynch ever made. It's my favorite David Lynch film. I do think there are other great David Lynch films. I lose a little steam with him in his weird, in his David Lynchian. <laughs> but, you know, give or take, regardless, even then, I'd rather watch a bad David Lynch film any day of the week over some, like, skyscraper that mm. came out to, oh, I don't care. I don't care. I'd rather watch that because I know at least it's going to be different. You'd rather watch it over Cool Runnings, man. Yeah. Well, maybe not Dune. I maybe I'd rather watch Cool Running than Dune. Dune is a long movie. They all it looks beautiful. Um, so yeah, I, I really highly recommend um, Blue Velvet, and I think everyone should see it. I think it's a great horror film, a great psychological horror movie, thriller. a great newer noir thriller mystery, and also a satire. It's everything. It's amazing. It's a really good combination of a lot of different things. And it's a movie that I think... And you're going to be split you. on it. I mean, uh, like, famously like Siskel and Ebert. <laughs> I mean, somebody's going to love it and the next person's not... The next person's going to hate it. Or hate it. So. Or not get it. Yeah. So You're either going to love it or hate all it. Alright. Um, who would you recommend this to? Um, well, I mean, not to small children. No, it's rated R for a very good reason. <laughs> uh, I think you should definitely be 16 plus if you're going to watch like, this. But, like, what kind of person would like what this kind movie? kind of person would like this? If you liked Gone Girl, you'd like Blue Velvet. Yeah, that's true. A Gone Girl the, lover would like Blue Velvet. Twin Peaks. If you like, if you like David Lynch, yeah, you'd like Blue Velvet. If you're a Lynch fan, also, in I think if you're a fan of neo noir, like um, Kathleen Turner film, uh, Body Heat, um, anything like that, and are interested in the darkest part of cinema, this would really appeal to you. Okay. What is the most memorable scene for you, Big J? 
Um, I think the most memorable scene for me is when Frank takes them on a drive. <laughs> I think that I get more freaked out because I already know how crazy he is. So what? What was so, the deal? So I'm just a little like, oh, he's really unpredictable. Like, yeah. I already know that he's, like, got a few screws loose. So, I mean, he's just, he's, like, driving fast. And they're, they were all drinking, weren't they, too? Oh, I'm sure. It was just a little P- crazy. Remember but- Pat's Blue Ribbon when he asked for Heineken? Oh, yeah. Bullshit! Pat's! PBR! Which is funny. Pat's was, like, made fun of. Although now you would make fun of someone drinking Heineken. Oh, so, anyways, whatever. go ahead. No, that, that would be my scene. That- Most horrific. Most terrific, horrific, scene? scariest, oh, horrific. I agree with you on memorable. Uh, probably the opening scene where he does the mama, mama oh, with the nitrous oxide. Yeah, and he like Ugh. show ma or show or can show I show daddy, show daddy or whatever. Oh, creepy. show baby, yeah, baby. It's really weird. It's disturbed, but not like. Not like cute, like, oh, that's cute. No, it's like, ew. Like, this is creepy. What am I watching? I'm uncomfortable. I'm a prude. I'm uncomfortable. Jesus, take the wheel. (laughs) Like my best friend, Carrie Underwood says. (laughs) (laughs) Um, My most memorable scene is probably the beginning of the grass of that beautiful shot with the picket fence and the roses and the water. And I also love that the hose... your favorite scene? Most memorable. Oh. Um, I loved that the hose... Well, it, to me, it sets the whole tone of the film. It's even before you see the Beatles, if you remember the hose, it's like almost about to pop off and break. It's like, like, uh, I love it. Almost, like, it's like shaking and like that, leaking. I love that a scene of a, of a shot of a hose almost falling off was, I think, so tense and like, what's going to happen? I even forgot about the hose when I rewatched it with you. Just like, cause I've seen it a million times, but I forgot. I always remember the. Rose. I thought there was like evil coming through the water. Right, I, I was like, "What monster is going to come out?" That well, hose? unfortunately, we watched Twin Peaks: The Return, so you think everything was probably alien. Like a monster is going to come out of the water hose. But a monster that no one will ever know or explain to you, or no. you'll know how it'll it just show up, and then all of a sudden it'll be gone. Yep. And like, um, the, the most horrific <laughs> scene for me is definitely. Probably when Kyle MacLachlan goes into Dorothy Valen's apartment for the last time and sees the dirty detective who I'm not sure if he shot himself and didn't <sighs> succeed and her poor husband with the gag in her mouth. That was awful. Yeah, her blue belt. I was, her husband's dead and then the detective is like almost dead. But he leaves in there. He's like spewing blood like with matter. his heartbeat yeah. and he's got gray matter on the top of his gray, head gray. and that's what, yeah. Is brain it? material, gray matter. Gray matter. Brain it's gray matter. Is it really? I think that's the term for it. I'm going to have to look that up later. If okay. you are, I will make a correction well, I may on have talked something today. For once. Anyways, <laughs> no, I'm just joking. Um, yeah, no, it's great. And also, I will say this, though. For people who also don't like dark movies, this one does end happy. So take a chance on Blue Velvet. So according to, really quick, Big J, the star rating confused him. So we're going to go from a 1 through 10 now. So just to give you a quick recap, The Devil's uh, Rejects... Spoiler, you didn't hear the last one that we recorded because we had a really long, tired day. So, so this is a new version. Yeah, we're doing a so, new version. Uh, I messed up the rating system and offended QC beyond belief. Yes, you did. So we had to adjust the rating system. It's one through it ten, 10 now. So I'm going to give you a quick recap of my previous films that we did. Devil's Rejects, 7.5 out of 10. Um, the Omen, 8 out of 10. Hereditary, 8.5 out of 10. Tenebrae, <laughs> had to remember all of them, 8.8 8 out of 10. Okay. 
I cannot remember all of my ratings. That's all right. So, so what is your rating for Blue Velvet? Seven and a half stars. No, no stars. It's just seven and a half out of ten. Seven point five out of ten. I do recommend this movie. What was it the Sean Connery I do. voice? <laughs> Sean Connery. Like on, it's a bad I know. Sean well, Connery. this is how I talk all the time. I'm just a weirdo. Um, what are you doing? Celebrity Jeopardy over there? Suck it, Trebek. Bow wow. <laughs> Bow wow. Bark, bark. Just you like your mother likes it, Trebek. <laughs> seven and a half. I do highly recommend this film. I do think that it... Um, it's highly intriguing. Uh, David Lynch is such a wonderful director, and I, I think and that there's now. a lot of uh, yeah. But but in a good way, he's got some really goofy stuff. So. Yeah, totally. Uh, I I, Try to, you, I mean, it's a little peek into his mind, but it's like the most normal peek into his mind that you've ever seen, <laughs> which is sad because it's not really that <laughs> great. <laughs> laughing. Normal. It's pretty dark. It's really dark. okay. Well, for him, it's great, and I'm sure that he enjoys it. I love David. I, this is my first 10 out of 10, everybody. Woo! It's oh, our first. Do, 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 do. Yay. I wish we had like. I never give 10 out of 10. 10 out of 10 has to be flawless. You probably would have for The Omen. You thought it was the Dodge Dart of horror movies, as you so. Humorously. The Dodge Dart. It's a terrible movie. The Dodge Dart is terrible. You loved The Omen. I did like The Omen, but The Dodge Dart is a terrible car. I know, but you were doing it, you were subtly commenting it and shading the movie as well. We are rambling. Yes, which is normal. Okay, so next... Well, it had a lot of movie flaws. Like, filming flaws. No, but not The Omen. The Omen was filmed well. It was filmed beautifully. It just... I thought script-wise it was kind of cheesy. You said, I like a movie that points me where it... Do you even remember? You, that's true. The Omen did. Yeah. You gave it three and a half out of four. You were like... It was like your highest yeah, rated movie true, so that's far. that's true. I do like it. I'd probably I you, convert that to a nine. There you go. That's We would right. convert that to a nine out of ten. Not tens across the board. Anyways. No. Tons, tons, tons across the board. Okay, now we're rambling. We so really sorry we've rambling. wasted 41 minutes of your life. Thank you I so much you for giving us your time. Um, <laughs> next week we'll be reviewing The Baba Duck, Jennifer Ken's debut feature. Baba. Baba. And you'll Baba. have to. I'm not going to tell you what number it's going to be. You'll have to wait for that. And uh, we will see you next week. So until then, I'm QC. And I'm Big J. And we are signing off. And don't forget to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Spotify, okay. Google Podcasts, or wherever else you listen to your podcast, and please follow us at the Real CML sixteen eighty eight. So, if you want to go ahead and ask this question, go ahead and let me know, and maybe we'll respond to it on the next week's show. So, until then, I am QC, and that was Big J, and thank you so much. You guys have a great week. Bye. <laughs>